how far are we as, as Christians really move, removed from this world system? Now, we, are, we readily quote, you don't have to be in a Christian meeting for a long time before somebody will say, let's not be conformed to the world, to the world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Everybody knows Romans 12 verse 2. But what I want to ask you today is, what are you really doing to renew your mind? The impact, I think we do not really have an appreciation for the impact of all the stimuli in the world around us, all the messages that are sent out from so many different sources to us to process. And we read one scripture like that, or we remember it from when we read the Bible a couple of months ago, that we should not be conformed to this world. And we say, that's a good idea. That sounds right. We're not going to do that. But I want to put it to you today. If you are not in the active process of renewing your mind, if you're not in the active process of dealing with all these sources, all these inputs into your mind, into your heart, into your soul, into your spirit, you will not be able to stand. And I just want to, what are, what are you up against? We're living in a society that basically is all about privacy and individualism. If you look at your, in your you know, when I'm sure 50 years ago in the UK when I, where I grew up, and I, w- I believe 100 years ago, wherever you would have gone in the world, you could walk down the street and it was quite, nat- it would be quite natural for you to walk into the house of your next door neighbor, that you would know everybody in your street. What is it like today? You don't even, you're not even sure if you can ask for a meeting with your next door neighbor. How many people know their next door neighbor in the UK today? <laughs> I know, I know my next door neighbor, but the point is, it is we're living in a society that put a very high price on the validity and the validity of your fence. You know, people will fight about around the fence around their properties. Let nobody come in. Everybody's behind a lock. Safety is paramount. Individualism is the highest, is one of the highest um, uh, what is, what, what, it's one of the highest things that we strive to in our society. Then at the next level, we look at the media. Nigel Ray, the owner of Saracens, told me once that in 1970, the ratio of good articles, positive articles, versus negative articles in the media was four to one. Four good positive articles or news items versus one negative one. Today, that has swung around to eight to one to the negative. That is what you are bombarded with. If it is not stealing, it's killing, it is rape. Identity theft. You cannot be more private. You cannot be more individualistic just to protect your own identity because somebody will steal your identity from you. The media will tell you about your pension. If you don't have enough money, 
if you're going to suffer, there's not going to be a state pension. Especially read the Daily Mail or papers like that, you know, then just doom and gloom. Then you've got advertising, your general advertising. Everything is focused on what you look like. Everything is focused on what you wear, what you drive, how you present yourself to other people. That is being held up as a very high value of what you should esteem to. Then there's the church. And doctrines that have become completely out of kilter in the church around prosperity. If you are not rich, if you are not doing well, basically it equates to you are probably not a person with enough faith. That is the doctrines that have been going around in the church. I don't, I don't want to... We were singing and it was beautiful songs, but it was just because I've prepared that I've now been noticing it. But a lot of the worship songs that we sing in church these days were songs that were composed by people bringing out a CD into the world and was basically a confession of somebody's faith. Faith. Lord, I, I, I love you. Thank you that you bless me. And it is good because we need to praise the Lord. That is that person's confession. But now we're singing in corporate meetings about I and me and my and we are not singing, nothing even in the church, or very little in the church, is even going towards us, our. Bless them. Bless them as you have been blessing us. Even the church environment has made us turn inwards towards ourselves and focus on ourselves. And as we know it, this is now a generalization of the church. Even the church has recognized this trend and that people do not respond to the us and our sentiments, but that people respond to the I and me teachings. You know, I, I, I've got Christian friends right across the world, and these days when I ask people about, have they read this book and read that book, you know, I read quite a bit. If I ask them, have they read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yes, they've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. John Maxwell, all his books about leadership, and self-improvement. You can go on and on. But have you ever thought to yourself, why hasn't there not been a mainstream book that has been a New York bestseller about how to bless, to pray for the unwanted, what is the best way to free yourself from your own chores to serve your community? Do you think that will sell very well? Do you think you'll find a publicist to publish that book for you? Even if you get a great revelation from God to do it, I think you'll need a lot of grace for that to happen. But then, and we can say this is the devil. This is part of a bigger scheme of Satan. I call it divide and conquer. The old strategy, you know, like a wolf will try and get the weak from the... There's, the Satan is busy with a separation job. He separates you, he gets you alone, and then he, he hammers you where you are alone. That is why God has created the church. And people do not understand that. People are grasping that in this process of, in their individual way, trying to save themselves, to protect themselves, to create an insular life that where, they can be, where their identity can be protected, where their goods can be protected, where their life can be protected, where their kids can be protected. 
What they've done is they've isolated themselves. But it's a big mistake to just give Satan all the glory. There's also a thing called self involved. You know, in this holiday, I experienced this a couple of times. I was I had my 20-year school reunion. I started speaking to one guy, and he started telling me, no, I've got one house, and I've got two houses, and I've got a car. I'm very happy. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I've become a Christian, and I'm thinking, why is that the first thing you've told me you've about your house and your car or whatever? I don't really, I want to, I really mind if you're all right. Sibling rivalry, just com- comparing yourself to your brother or your sister or an old school friend or somebody in church, or your next-door neighbor. That competitive spirit, that flesh, has made you run a, a race to a place where you are out of steam and so separated, trying to get ahead, that you have actually become a victim of your own plans, a victim of your own strategy to get ahead. Now, before I go ahead, the, the, the title of this sermon is Captive in the Lowest Form of Faith. Being captive in the lowest form of faith. And basically, when we get born again, okay, before, before I go ahead, I put it in my notes. It doesn't ha- guys... I've said a lot of things, and I'm going to ask even more questions. But every now and then, I'm going to zap you out of it, because I'm asking thought-provoking questions, and then you're going to start thinking. If you're like my father, you're going to start thinking about who this sermon is really for, other than yourself. So I'm going to zap you back, because unless this is going to change you, unless... This is, you're going to take this back and think about it this week and make some changes in your thought patterns because that is what the Lord is going to try and do today is you're going to get out of faith 101. You're going to get out of salvation 1.1. You have got to move on. You didn't get saved for you to be blessed. You didn't get saved for you to feel all right. God didn't save you for you to get ahead of the guy next to you. There's a principle that I've learned while I was playing rugby, and that is what I want to share with you. And it's it's a very difficult thing to share with with somebody if you haven't experienced it, but I'll try and explain it to you. I played in the front row, right in the middle of the front row. And when you are there and things are difficult, somebody else is pushing you around, somebody is really hurting you, the world gets very small. You feel very alone. When you're in a corner, when you get pushed into a corner, the world feels very small. And you feel like right at the bottom of it. And when you are there, you cannot think. Everything shuts down. If you are, like, I go hunting in, 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 in South Africa and Namibia quite a bit. So sometimes we hunt foxes in the night, jackals. When you put a light on it and when you put it on the spot, 
it doesn't move. It is frightened. It sits there for a while, and it doesn't move. And that is sometimes what this pressure, all these things that I just mentioned, cause you to do, and you can't think anymore. What God wants for us, He says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What God has put into place with our prayer life is to move up to Him and in the Spirit see the world really as it is. See everything really in perspective, from His perspective. That is the privilege of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are not feeling here that you are below here and everything is pressing up on on top of you. But you are seated with Him and you can see the bigger picture and you can see where He wants to put His hand. Where outside of your life He can use you as an instrument. Where He through you can bless. Where He through you, you can pray into. But when you are below when you've got that feeling of being below, if you are submitting yourself under all these pressures and even putting through your fleshly desires, putting these things on top of you, you feel cut off. And I always say to guys, when you feel that pressure or when you've had a bad scrum, you have to get up. You have to give a step back and say, I stand outside of the situation. What would be my plan? What would be my strategy if I was not me? You follow what I'm saying? Sometimes I want you today to give a step back from your own life and not feel under the cosh, not feel in it. Just stay, take a step back from God's perspective and say, all these things have been impacting on me. What would a person, what would Jesus look at and be my advice looking at me from the outside now? I believe the attack of Satan has left a lot of Christians to have just enough faith for survival. Just enough faith to believe that that their children will be okay. Just enough faith to hold on to their job. Just enough faith to prosper a little bit. That is as far as it goes. I want want you to go in your Bible to Mark 4, verse 19. Turn your Bible to Mark 4, 19. It's about the parable of the sower. And it's very interesting. It's been very difficult for me to prepare this because this is not a, you know, I've come from a great holiday. I want to come here smiling, cheer everybody up. But this is now the word that the Lord has put on my heart. But I feel, those who have been in the prayer meeting beforehand, I feel what I'm preaching into has been confirmed by what other words and what Becky has just shared. So many people are sitting in a cage. And there's two sides to it. You must understand that there's a satanic world system that wants to put you in that cage. But you should also understand that there's a part of you that has put you in that cage. And there's a place where this need to lead to repentance. Okay, it says here, let's read from verse 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. This is now the seeds that have been sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. So this is Christians. They've heard the word. And the cares of this world 
the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things entertain me, entering in, choke the word, and becomes unfruitful. And I believe that is where a lot of people even give up, even do not walk in the word anymore. I also want to, don't want to just for sake of time, Revelation 3 verse 17 about the church of Laodicea, the seventh church in Revelation, where it says, you're lukewarm because you think, because you think you are rich. But what we think, you know, from our perspective, from our perspective, we think rich is Richard Branson. You are rich. You know that you are part of the 1% in the world that had a breakfast this morning, that can read. If you had a breakfast this morning, and if you're going to have a breakfast this evening, and you can read, you're in the top 1% in the world. You are rich. I know it's very difficult for us when we look at CSI Miami. It irritates the living daylight out of me. That slow motion. You know, when they walk and the sun is in the, in the back, you know, it just irritates, the, irritates me. But anyway, but I know you watch TV maybe and think, that is rich. But I am not. It is a lie. It is a lie. You are rich. You are full of blessings. God has, God has shown so much love towards you in the family that you were born into, the country where you live in, the education that you have, your health, your friends. Now, this is not too... Sometimes our focus, sometimes a reminder of what our focus is at the moment can help us to understand where we really are. And the things that show our focus, if our focus is outside of ourselves, really, if our focus is the kingdom of God, what is your biggest desire at the moment? Is it outside of yourself? What, is your, what do you think about when you drive? What is that dream that you dream when you lie before you go to bed? That somewhere place, that if, if only place, that if only thing that you can possibly have, where, where is that? What do you talk about when you talk to people? Does it flow from 1 John 3.16? Let's go to 1 John 3.16. It's good to read it, to see it. So we all know John 3.16. And a lot of people have stated, God so loved me. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He gave His Son for you to be saved. But the response, the response that you and I need to go to the next level is 1 John 3.16. But this we know love because He laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the question is, in what way 
Have you moved, moved on beyond yourself? How can you snap out of your current thinking and thought processes? Now, faith. just want to quickly just give an example of, of modern-day modern day living and contrast that to the father of faith. Abram had his nephew Lot with him. Basically, Lot was almost like a son to Abram. He was his brother's son. I believe what the, 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 the sheep, they both had a lot of sheep and camels and whatever. And Lot was always walking under the protection of Abram. And then one day, they came to, the, they came to a point and their herdsmen were arguing with each other. And there were a lot of other people and their herds were so big that there wasn't enough place for everything to graze. It says that they had like thousands and thousands of camels and sheep, etc. But Lot, Lot is a younger man standing with his uncle, and his uncle says to him, Lot, I think this thing is not working out. Because Abram, Abram was a man that was called by God out of a pagan religion. I think a lot of people forget that. I think the average Christian, if you asked him who Abram was, he would say he was a Christian. <laughs> Abram was not even under the law. Abram was the first person that God came and said, I'm not going to make something out of you, a nation, a people for me. And he said in his promises, God said to Abram, I want you, through you, I'm going to make a people that will be an example to the other nations. So Abram was standing there and he was thinking, all that's happening here is there's contention between us because we've got a lot of things. This is not a good testimony to the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Hezerites and whatever is walking around in this country here. It's best for us to separate, but I give you the chance. You can choose. So Lot, it says also in the Word that Lot has accepted God as a God. He has accepted Jah as his, as his Lord, it says. And it says in the Bible that he saw the valley, the plains of the Jordan, and that it was well watered. And he said, we will go there. You know, it's such a joke. You know, Do you know today that a big section of what he saw is not well watered anymore? That through that sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, it, that land... It cursed to this day. But obviously the valley of the Jordan is still a green area. But anyway, so Abram went the other way and said, Peace be to you, you go that way. And Abram went the way of, of the Lord. It was such a shock to me when I saw this. I was reading this, and the next day I met with a lot of people, and we were talking about where their lives were going. And it was all Christian guys. And not one person in their conversation said to me something about what the Lord was saying in the whole situation. Everybody was weighing up where's more crime or less crime? Where's a higher salary or a lower salary? Where's, what is the prices of cars in this place and that place? What is the prices of houses here and there? Christian people just looking at what is in front of them making a decision from that. And I realize 
we have become so fleshly. People can say, pray for me, but in the end, they will make a decision according to a different set of of values. James says, in James 4 verse 8, you want to go, go there, James 4 verse 8? Let's start from verse 7 again. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And you double-minded basically is saying, you are trying to fulfill two things here. And those are also the two things that I want to contrast here. When the whole James 3, 2 and 3, that talks about your faith and my works... I believe that faith, that faith that James is talking about, is, for, is faith 1.1. Faith 1.1 is, I've had people in my home groups, I've run a home group for 10 years, and I think I can teach a little bit. But the moment you go outside of a certain area, the moment you start going into spiritual things, people just say, I just want the Word. just want the Word, you know? I just want more knowledge. I just want to be more knowledgeable. I just want to know more than my auntie, my cousin. Because then I can look smarter and I can look more holy. And I I think that is a big part of what James was criticizing. Is if if it just stays with knowledge, if it just stays with personal faith, if it just stays with personal salvation, that faith has not gone over into works. And it stays with faith 1.1. And you will go to heaven, and that has been said now a hundred times in the last six months. But I believe you haven't attained, and you haven't operated in the place where God says, come with me, come to a higher place. You're not better than anybody else, but this higher place, you've got better perspective. Come and spend time with me and look at it from a wider perspective, can you see that the fact that you are still driving a VW2 Rand, but not the whatever, you know, the, the 4 by 4 version, that is not the biggest problem in the world. The fact that you didn't get your promotion is not the biggest problem in the world. The fact that there are people dying of hunger all over the world A billion people in this world is living on the breadline. Below the breadline. And of which a very large percentage has never heard the gospel. That is a life and death situation. You know, this hurricane that's probably going to go over New York now. Can you imagine the fear that is in the hearts of those people in New York at the moment? They are in concrete bunkers. They have moved everybody in. I can tell you now, they're gonna, I don't think five people will die in this whole thing. Do you know how many people will die today of AIDS in the world? 10,000 people will die today of AIDS in the world. The heart of the modern day church has been drawn to certain teachings in the Bible that is the truth. 
but it has been overemphasized. At a cost, because people are sitting in these vacuums and I didn't prepare for it and I was lying in bed, but I just want to say a quick thing about this. There is a doctrine that is maybe a separate preach, but if you go and read, I read quite a bit yesterday, if you go and read Jeremiah and Isaiah, if you go and read the prophets, many times the Lord says, I will will prophesy unto you what you want to hear. I will let the prophets prophesy falsely to you what you want to hear. That is what he said to his people. People, I believe the modern church has preached unto you, us, what we wanted to hear. And there's a repentance that must come from our side as well. A general repentance. To say, we do not want to hear just things that sue and makes us happy. We want to hear the truth. And we want to hear the truth that bring us closer to God and make us sit. Make us sit with God and see the world from His perspective. And act with His mandate. I believe God gave us the power to get wealth. It says it in the Word. I believe God has, will bless our children. I believe the blood of Jesus cover us to protect my family. I believe in sowing and reaping. I believe that um, we are His chosen. But because we believe it, because I believe it, let's leave it there. Let's not just pray into that every day. Let's believe God will look after you. Now, turn yourself away from it and to the next level. Go into the next level and say, God will look after me. You'll see, that is going to be the challenge also. If we have been, if we were a properly praying church, if we were people turned out from, from ourselves, we would also not have that worry about praying for ourselves that much. At all, because I know Petri would be praying for me. And Roger would be praying for me. I can pray for him and everybody else. And the bigger things, if we are truly living in a us and our society... Who, who do you think is then going to believe and do for the unwanted? Who's going to do the doing and the believing and the praying for the unwanted? We are in a... I would like to see how many people can really say that they are praying the Lord's Prayer like the example that Jesus has given us. Our Father that's in heaven, give us our sins, praying for the nation. Lead us, not in, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. Deliver this country. Deliver this nation. Deliver this, this wicked person from his wickedness. Not in a condemning way, in a loving way, with your whole heart crying out. How many people have you met that, that has told you, you know, I've been standing in faith for this man that I know has been struggling for years. I've been standing in faith for a new job and a new car for that family, and they got it this week. I've never ever in my whole Christian life heard anybody say that. I've had many people say, I've been praying for this job for myself. I've been crying to the Lord. I've been hoping for this car, and praise the Lord, I've got that car and that job now. And you know, and God does it. 
But that is faith 1.1. Faith 2.1 is praying for somebody else, enjoying, praising God when it happens in somebody else's life. Okay. I want to share an interesting thing with you. This is also a new revelation that I got this, this holiday. I'm almost finished. I don't want you to turn there. You can make a note if you are making notes. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 to 18. It gives the instruction in Deuteronomy how the king should live. And in this, you know, there's lots of teaching. There's been lots of teachings in the last 20 years about kings and priests, etc. But this is now rules, you can say, laws that God is giving to what? How a future king of Israel should conduct himself. You will not believe what it says. How many of you can remember that Solomon had a lot of horses? Who of you can remember that he had a lot of wives? Do you know that it says, the king of Israel shall have no horses. He shall not go back to Egypt and buy horses. He shall have one wife. He shall not have many wives. And it says, and he will write the law and have a copy of it and meditate in it every day. Meditate in it every day. Some people say it can even be an example of the church. God has not instructed us to accumulate. God's people should not trust in horses or chariots. In a pension or in self-preservation methods. We should trust, we should trust in the salvation and the relationship of the Lord, living a life outside of ourselves. Just remember, I've had a, I thought about it. I don't think it says that Israel shouldn't have horses, but the king shouldn't have horses. The king shouldn't accumulate horses. It's also maybe a message for the government. <laughs> the government is not in God's will. <laughs> Accumulating assets within a government. I want to read you something that, is, that I've left in my Bible. It's been in my Bible for quite some time. I got this just after I got born again. And it is something that was written by Nelson Mandela. And I've never heard anybody really use this ever outside. I don't even know where I got this. But I believe small thinking and fearful thinking. Small thinking is just as bad as fearful thinking. If you have just enough faith for you and your family to be okay, then I want to say to you, it is the same as fear. The redemptive purpose that God has for you is much, much, much greater but the system has made you 
put yourself in such a small place so that the only thing you can think of is just survival and just being all right within this limited space. Where God has, that is what God has put in my heart, is for us to have a greater, a greater vision than you've ever imagined. If you think it is doable with your current abilities, then it is not from God. Then it's not 100% from God. What God wants to do through you with Him is far beyond what you can do with your own abilities as you think of yourself today. Just, just hear what Nelson Mandela says. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frighten us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are we not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give our other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. And I want to say, the Spirit of God in us liberates others. I'm challenging you this morning to break, to identify things Systems, thought patterns that have limited the way that you've been thinking and operating. And I believe that you need to go with new vigor and seek the Lord and say, Lord, let me break every bondage that I've put around myself or the system has put around me. I desire to fulfill my redemptive purpose outside of myself in this world. Because what are we living for? What are you standing in faith for outside of yourself at the moment? What are you standing in faith? What are you believing for outside of yourself? Outside of your family? Outside of your immediate family? What are you standing in faith for? And if that is quite an empty space, then don't not feel condemned. Just take action. And the action is not to try and conjure something up. Go and seek. I am in that place. I am seeking. I am desperately, desperately, desperately seeking the Lord for a purpose and a vision outside of myself. Something so great that it frightens me. That only the Lord and His grace can calm me down and say, it will be all right. I was watching, I was watching the, um, the story of Moses and from Egypt, right from the birth of... It's a Christian DVD that we bought in South Africa for the children. It's a little bit different from the Disney one. It's a lot more dramatized. They really... When they whipped the... <laughs> when they whipped the Israelites, they properly whipped them. And it's actually the children were sitting there and their, their eyes were big while they were watching this thing. But in this... Um, in the process, as they went into the um, desert... They've got this one little fat little, it looks like a little fat Greek character. And every time when there's complaining, he's in the forefront of the complaining. 
And the way that he was thinking, and I was thinking, that's exactly how we think. Every time we get to the place where there may not be water, there may not be food, you've been eating this thing for too long, you now want some meat or whatever. That little man comes up and he shouts at you, where is God? Where is God? You know, where is God in this situation? But if you've got a vision beyond yourself, if you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, I believe you will squash that little man very quickly because you understand where you are going. You understand you are with God in this. You are not here at the bottom just asking, asking, but you are moving with God in this thing because you are making time to spend that time with the Lord. I want to challenge you. How will you change the selfish and faithless pattern in your life? And the thing that I want to challenge you with is for one week, in your quiet time, try and not use the word I or me once. Try not to pray once this whole week for yourself or your immediate family. I want to say, you have the right to pray. You have the right to ask for things for yourself. The word is clear. But the word also says, you are not receiving because you're asking for selfish things. You are asking for fleshly things. That is what the word says. But So I'm just putting that as a side note. I'm not saying it is against the word to pray for yourself. But I am challenging you to break a pattern of focusing on yourself or even your family. And say, Lord, I leave all these things with you. You know about all these things. I now want to start a new pattern of living outside of myself. You know I need a job. You, need, you know my mother needs healing. Whatever it may be, and you try and focus in your quiet time this week to see things from God's perspective, to pray into things outside of you, to, for the Lord, give the Lord, give the Holy Spirit a chance to put your mind and your heart into something new outside of yourself and start a journey. Because I can tell you now, when you get to that place, when you start that place, it is like all of a sudden... Can you imagine if this chair is here and you are a person that is that small? It would look like a mountain and you can't get over it. The moment you are seated in heavenly places with Christ, you become an enormous person. This is like a pebble in your way that you just walk over because you can see the bigger picture. That is the best way how I see, how I see this walk with Christ. That the Lord wants to put to you to, to see the things from His perspective. And if you are not, for some of you, it will probably take a bit of warfare. And all that it is, is you've got to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you're going to take on certain mindsets in the name of Jesus Christ. And why do you use the name of Jesus Christ? Because He has conquered it all. He has conquered these fears 
He has conquered these demonic powers that are out here at the moment trying to push you down, limit you, put you in a corner, make you feel small, feel that you don't have access to God, that minister onto you that He doesn't love you, that He doesn't have a plan for you. But I say to you this morning, the Word says otherwise. My prayer is that your faith will move into works, even if it's just one small thing at a time, and that your deliverance will come. The, Jesus, is an, Jesus announced himself and said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord for the captives to be set free. There's a place of personal repentance from sin. But there's also a place, and I know a lot of you think sin is stealing and killing and whatever else. But there's a place that you even have to go for personal repentance and say, I repent of my small thinking, Lord. I repent of limiting the things that you wanted to do through me. But I believe that you can forgive me completely and that you want to come in with my life and together we will do the things that is on your heart. And all the other things will fall. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will come into place. 